In brightest day, in blackest night, all other podcasts tremble in fright. Losers cower before the power. Oranges lust and blues you can trust. Indigos feel and white ones heal. Yellow scare and green ones dare. That sapphire love and black hands glove will rock your foundation without hesitation. Chad and Mars face evil's minds. Respect their power for they'll make you see the light. Hi, everybody. I'm Chad Bokelman. I'm Mark Marble. And this is the Lantern Cast. Episode 368. That's right. We are talking about the Green Lantern number 9 from uh, Grant Morrison and Liam Sharp. But before we get into it, today's Thursday. First official day of San Diego Comic-Con. And there's a lot of stuff that's already happening. You can talk about cats or freaking, I don't know, Top Gun 2 or whatever. But... uh, we're going to have a whole SDCC episode, so I don't know what we're going to get into, but it's probably not worth it right now to go into it. So uh, instead, I do have some SDCC sort of related stuff to talk about because we do talk about we, – we started talking about pops uh, a little a little bit more frequently here on, on the show just because I've gotten into collecting them myself. And uh, this morning, man, I actually <laughs> it took a half day <laughs> at work. It took some PTO <laughs> and uh, and went in at one today just so I could. Uh, well, there, there was two reasons. I had to babysit my little brother, and but and then I went to also uh, pick up some of these things at the store. Well, rather pick up some of these things at the store and then go babysit my little brother. Um, the uh, I, I picked up several things. There's a lot of stuff that came out for San Diego Comic Con uh, when they first announced that. Uh, they didn't say what the exclusives were going to be, but they did say there'd be like 70 something exclusives. And I was like, holy crap, I'm going to go broke. And then they actually announced everything. And I was only interested in like two or three. So I was like, Oh, thank God. <laughs> but uh, Mark, did you, were you interested in any of this? Andy? Cause I know you collect pops too, or not, not, not a ton of them, but did you see anything that uh, on the San Diego exclusives that you were going to go after or maybe go after, Afterwards, I mean, obviously you didn't go wait in the lines or anything to this morning, but was there anything that was announced that you were curious about or going to go find? I think the only one that I was interested in it was the one we you showed me last week, which I think which might be viable, I mean, potentially to get because of the fact the chances because of the fact that it's I think an Entertainment Earth shared exclusive, which was the the jaws the jaws with the Quint with the Quint bloody Quint inside his mouth. Uh, that from the Jaws pop line. Uh, that one, not just because it's so bloody, which is kind of a rarity. For really, for I mean, that's a pretty that's a pretty violent looking pop. <laughs> but just, but I was tempted to get a you know a big version of the Jaws pop because you know when they had those little those uh, minis, those mystery minis when they did all the horror characters. That eventually I did. I did get a. I think I was. An, I think I got that one off of eBay. One of the ones I bought off of eBay was the, uh, jaw, you know, was Jaws with the with the, the oxygen tank in his mouth. So I was, and for the pops they have the regular shark. They have regular 
Jaws, and then they have the one with the tank in his mouth, and obviously now they have the San Diego Comic Con Entertainment Earth shared exclusive, which has the, you know, which has Quint, bloody Quint, being eaten in his mouth. So that one, I depending, which mind you, if you go on eBay, that thing's like going for like sixty, seventy bucks. <laughs> I already looked for it, <laughs> but so needless to say, for that price, no, there's no way on God's green earth I would even, I would consider. Uh, getting that but if it, it does become available on, on entertainment earth or becomes available for a decent decent price considering it is a you know a jumbo sized pop that one i probably would be i would consider I'm not saying i definitely would do it but i would consider it yeah well i uh you know I, I i started collecting pops and then i started joining facebook groups and stuff like that and uh you know my first real you know i, I guess like prep uh, prepped hunt was during the spring convention exclusives with the Emerald City Comic Con stuff. But even with that, I only really wanted the classic Thor, which was a Thank Geek GameStop uh, exclusive. And then I got the uh, the uh, Harry Potter three pack the uh, of the of the Weasley uh, the Weasley brothers and sister uh, in the Irish gear. Uh, I got two of those, one for me because I you know I'm a huge fan of St. Patrick's Day; it's my favorite holiday, and then another for a family member. So that was my first like real hunt, but there wasn't a ton there. And uh, you know, I got paid, and 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 I think I was uh, might might have been last weekend or whatever. I I went out, and I you know I um, went to a store that has some some stuff, and I picked up uh, White Lantern Wonder Woman uh, for like fifteen bucks. I mean, it's not really gone up in value off after the market. My my goal is to get all the White Lanterns at some point, except for the Freddy Funko. Uh, White Lantern, uh, which is like a $1,500 pop on the aftermarket. Get all the White Lanterns, but get all the White Lanterns non-glow-in-the-dark. So I found that. While I was up north, I went to the only uh, mall at Austin that has an FYE, um, which is you know further away from me. But I was like, oh, I'm already up in North Austin. I might as well go. And I picked up uh, Billy Idol uh, and Sting from the police because I'm, I'm interested in the rock pops, but only in those artists that had some sort of influence on me. And by that, I don't mean like, you know, make me, maybe want to play or anything, but I, you know, I, I've told the story along you know, plenty of times, but I essentially grew up listening to the music my dad grew up with. So instead of listening to all the stuff people my age are supposed to be growing up with, which I did, I was more of a fan of ACDC sticks, the who little river band. Yes. You know, all that stuff. So I grew up with classic rock. So now, you know, I've got two Elton John pops, two uh, Angus Young pops. I got my Johnny Cash pop not too long ago. Saw Billy Idol, picked that up, got Sting from the police. But uh, FYE had a buy one, get one 75% off. So I picked up the – I wasn't going to do it, but I picked up the Patina Stan Lee, which is like the rust-colored – like uh, not the rust-colored, the uh, – um, the bronze, the bronze that looks like it's turning. You know when bronze turns into like that teal color, when it's yeah, when it's oxidizing. That's what it looks like. Um, but I wasn't gonna get it. But I looked at the back. This the patina Stanley is actually in connection with uh, the the Hero Initiative. So if you guys are a fan of or want to support the Hero Initiative, go find and purchase that patina Stanley because. Uh, that's actually something they did in connection with uh, with with them, and I'm a huge fan of the Hero Initiative. So I was like, "Well, shit, I gotta have it." 
but they announced a ton of pops, 70-something pops for San Diego Comic-Con. Some ThinkGeek exclusives, uh, uh, ThinkGeek and GameStop, uh, Hot Topic, uh, Entertainment Earth you mentioned. I mean, there's a ton of them out there. So my ThinkGeek at Barton Creek uh, here in Austin, Texas, decided that they were going to open an hour early, 8 a.m., uh, so I learned my lesson from the, the, the spring stuff, and I went this morning to go pick up uh, the teal chrome Batman. I am upset with Funko with the amount of chromes they're doing, and I did not want to give them money for a chrome variant. But all of the most recent Batman pops are coming in a black box with this golden boss all around it. And that teal chrome Batman looks sick in that black box with the gold chrome have you seen a picture of it in like in the box i don't think so it, it looks it looks i mean I, I know it's just a teal chrome and the and to be to be quite honest if, if you're going to be objective the teal chrome looks cool by itself just outside of the box but something about it in that box with that teal i just sent you a picture i took and posted on our, our twitter uh earlier this morning when i was out and about it just looks so cool in that black box. So for I, I just couldn't resist. I had to grab that. There was a bunch of other stuff at ThinkGeek. There were a bunch of people in front of, and maybe I want to say maybe about eight eight people in line in front of me, and maybe another ten or twelve behind me. Um, and man, I was one of the first ones in the door. Obviously, I grabbed only the teal chrome Batman. That's all I wanted. And um, by the way, while I was there, I, I finally pre-ordered those uh, Venomized Pops that are coming out in the beginning of August. Um, because uh, ThinkGeek has buy two, uh, buy two, get one free. So there's six Pops in that in that wave. So I'm going to buy four and get two of the six for free um, when they show up. So I pre-ordered those. By the time I was one of the first ones to check out, because I wasn't grabbing every single exclusive they had, I just wanted one Teal Chrome Batman for myself. Grabbed it, made sure to pre-order my, my uh, Venomized stuff, uh, and for those of you who don't know, the next wave of Venomized is going to be Venomized Daredevil, uh, Thanos, uh, Groot, Rocket, uh, X-23, and who am I missing? Storm. Yes, Storm. Um, so that's uh, I'll be getting all those. And um, I was one of the first people to check out, and by the time I stepped foot outside of ThinkGeek, of the Teal Chrome Batmans that were out at that time, maybe 30 of them or so, there were two left on the table. <laughs> so that one went real quick. Um, I guess they had some more stock in the back because I, as I was leaving the mall, I saw some some replacement ones put out there. But, man, people snapped that thing up. Walked over to Hot Topic because I wanted to get the uh, comic book accurate Gamora. And I'm standing in there. There's already maybe about nine people or so, nine, ten people in line. I'm standing there maybe five minutes before the doors just so happen to open right as I almost get there. Get in there. And man, dude, that the, the people are obsessed with Dragon Ball Z pops because <laughs> holy mother of God, it was like every person in front of me grabbed three of the red chrome Super Saiyan Vegeta. Like, because they because they, they give you a limit, you know, you're supposed to only buy three pops. I don't know. I'm not sure if you're supposed to buy three of a type or Hot Topic. Uh, that particular location was only allowing you to buy three um, 
summer convention exclusives. I'm not sure what the math was there, but you know, the people who were maxing out however many they had had three of these red chrome Super Saiyan Vegetas in their hands. I've never seen Dragon Ball Z. I also know that those uh, My Hero Academia pops are really popular too. Um, but my God. So I was also there because the same family member that I got the the extra three-pack of the Weasleys and the Irish gear for uh, also collects or just loves Harry Potter in general and has decided that their pop collection, if they're going to get things moving forward, is just going to be the creatures. And they came out with a... A uh, fox, uh, the, uh, the the phoenix, uh, Dumbledore's phoenix, uh, fox, and it's flocked. So I got that for her, and something told me, you know what? I'm just gonna and I, I grabbed a Super Saiyan Vegeta because they were going like hotcakes, and I was like, look, if people want this this bad, there's one pop I know for sure that's going to be releasing that I'm going to have a hell of a time getting a hold of. So I'm just going to – I'm not going to upcharge or anything. I'm just going to trade value for value. If anybody's interested in the red chrome Super Saiyan Vegeta, I'm going to trade them for this other exclusive. The other exclusive I'm talking about is the Walmart exclusive Big Bang Theory Pops. They did – for any of you who ever watched Big Bang Theory, there was an episode where the group went to a Halloween party at the comic book store, and all of them dressed up as Justice Leaguers. Leonard dressed up as Green Lantern. There is a Big Bang Theory Leonard uh, San Diego Comic-Con exclusive pop of Leonard in the Green Lantern outfit. We do a Green Lantern podcast. I need the exclusive Green Lantern-related pop that came out. So I was like, you know what? I can't order it online because if I do, I'm going to have to choose shipping. And I've seen more than enough horror stories of people shipping – of Walmart – Shipping pops, not in boxes, but in envelopes, and them showing up damaged as hell. So it's going to be hard to get it in person, too, because if anybody's interested in these pops, there's going to be very few people, just face it, who are are like me and interested in one specific one. They're going to want the whole cast. They're going to want the whole league. So it's going to be very hard to find just Leonard in Green Lantern gear. So I picked up a a red chrome super saiyan vegeta for trading and it, i was about to leave the mall and then i realized what time it was it was like five minutes till nine and the funko shop online went live at 10 p.m eastern 9 p.m central standard or, or 9 a.m central standards 9 a.m central standard time so i sat down got on my phone opened it up refreshed everything was live I was like, holy shit. So I tried because if you've ever tried to buy a Funko Shop exclusive pop on the Funko Shop online, they go like that. Some of you will remember last year I tried to get a hold of the Pain and Panic 2-pack Hercules pop. And I talked about this time last year about how it was literally maybe a minute and 45 seconds, two minutes between me going, okay, it's refreshed, it's live, it's in my cart. I'm entering my payment information, and then by the time I hit enter on my payment information, it said sold out. That's how fast things will go on the Funko Shop. So I had no illusions that I was going to get the Funko Shop exclusive. The, there, were, there are several of them, but the only one I want is the Batman holding the San Diego Comic-Con bag. I got it. <laughs> I got the confirmation email. I got it. 
a minute later it was sold out, but it somehow by some miracle I got in the window. So I got the teal chrome Batman, the comic accurate Gamora for myself. I got the flocked Fox for a family member and I picked up the red Saiyan, uh, the super Saiyan uh, red chrome Vegeta so I could trade and get the one pop. I know I'm going to have a hard time getting and I got the one pop I didn't think I was going to be able to get, which was the the uh, San Diego Comic-Con Funko Shop exclusive Batman. So it was an extremely successful hunt because I essentially got everything I need. I just needed someone out there to be like, hey, I want the Red Chrome Super Saiyan Vegeta, and I don't really have any attachment to this Green Lantern Leonard. Would you like to make a trade? <laughs> Good luck bartering, Chad. <laughs> I, I, I mean, I know. That, see, that's the, that's the thing. I, it, it's So many people buy these things ex, ex, because they're pops and you know people see them going for crazy amounts of money on the aftermarket. <laughs> so many people buy so many of these things just trying to flip them for, a, for, a, for extra money. All of these, these single character pops, not like this we're excluding pop rides or you know movie moments or two packs or whatever – are about 15 bucks. There's a ton of them out there and these are shared exclusives. So I'm literally only trading this for another exclusive of the exact same value. People out there are, are, are trying to charge like double the value uh, of 40, 50 bucks for these red Chrome super Saiyan Vegeta's. And, and they're just trying to milk people who, you know, you know, had to work, couldn't afford to take off or couldn't afford to pick up the pop that day or whatever for all they're worth. And I'm just like, you know what? I'm just trying to do a value for value trade. And that's really what you should do if you're like a, a pop fan in the community. Don't try and milk people for their money. This this stuff isn't really that worth it. It has to be a super like limited pieces, limited set, you know, only available specifically at such and such a location that there's not a million of elsewhere. Otherwise, these things are – it's very rare these days that a new pop comes out that's going to be worth a lot of money later. So I just don't understand the people who are out there who bought this stuff today, same day as me, and are already trying to flip it for massive amounts of money. Like there's not a million of them out there. It's the way the world works, man. I guess. I guess. Um, oh yeah, I sent you the picture of the Teal Chrome Batman. What do you think of that in that black box? It does look good in the, in the black box because it obviously looks like the uh, – when, whenever you see that – a box like that or a symbol like that, it reminds you, you – know, you just think automatically to me anyway, you know, the Michael Keaton Batman without even thinking twice about it, you know. So that's that's that. It's it's cool. I do. I I could I could see the appeal. I I do agree that I think they are going a little chrome crazy uh, across the board. Even that's one of the reasons I don't have the chrome or the gold, even the gold plated Captain America when they released all those. Uh, it's like yeah, I think that's a little bit much. <laughs> yeah. So, but I I I that's unique, and I can, and I can see why that would be uh why that would be a big draw in general. So. Yeah, I've already made a decision on what I'm going to be collecting. Now, obviously, this is subject to change because, you know, they could come out with a line that, you know, just doesn't exist yet uh, in the pop world that I, you know, I'm a huge fan of. For instance, recently, they just released the first wave of community pops. They haven't announced that they're going to do more, but 
they just released Community. You know, I, I'm a huge fan of Community. I never thought they'd do Community pops, and they announced it, and I had to have them. So if it's something I'm a fan of, and they release a pop down the line, maybe I'll start collecting that series as well. But I've decided, like, I'm going to get rid of my. I mean, as as you're going to laugh, I know. As much as I was waiting for it to come out, I'm going to get rid of my Big Lebowski Thor. I'm going to get rid of that <laughs> hot topic of that hot topic exclusive cap from Endgame or the the Ant Man. Um, I'm only going to collect, obviously, Community. I'm going to collect DC Comics and Marvel Comics. I'm not going to... I mean, unless unless it's some like really cool-looking design, I'm not going to collect like the movie versions of these. I'm going to collect like the comic book character versions of these. Um, that's why I went after that Gamora, because she's comic accurate. Um, that's why I was really hyped for that Spider-Punk when that came out. Um, that's why I was hyped for that classic Thor when that came out in the spring convention. I'm going to collect those, uh, comic accurate DC superheroes or, or Marvel heroes, get the community stuff. I'm going to complete my Hercules wave. Cause I just, I don't know if you've ever seen, have you seen the Hercules pops in person? Any of them? I may have, but I don't know if I've actually held one in my hand, but I probably have seen the boxes and everything. Cause <laughs> I just think those characters translate extremely well to the pop format, and Hercules is my second favorite Disney movie. So I just I have to I have to have it. I'm, and like I said, you know, earlier on about the rocks, only the care, only the musicians and artists that really had some sort of an impact on me. Uh, I've obviously got my Bill and Ted pop uh, I, because Bill and Ted three is coming next year. We may see more of those, whether they're excellent adventure pops, bogus journey pops, or in, in preparation for Bill and Ted three. Anything related to Bill and Ted, I'll, I'll continue getting. I'm gonna get complete my Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle stuff, and obviously, this technically goes under the the uh, umbrella of comic stuff, but the, all the Venom stuff, I'm gonna get that. But like, I'm gonna get rid of my Yu-Gi-Oh, my Quail Dog. My uh, Prince Ali and Genie Aladdin pops. I'm gonna get rid of the the uh, Big Lebowski Thor and the Ant Man. I'm gonna get rid of that. Uh, I'm gonna get rid of that Gold uh, Chrome Shuri I picked up not too long ago. Like you know those sorts of things. I'm just gonna be very. I'm start being very particular about what I what I uh, do. Cause you, did did you see the photo I posted of of the shelves I put up on the wall to show these? Yes, I did. Yeah. So I mean that's. I, I just put up two shelves and they're already full. So I mean, I, I need to start reining it in. I mean, obviously, saying I'm going to collect the DC superheroes comic stuff and the the Marvel that's those are pretty big lines. So it's not like I'm limiting it too much. But yeah, I gotta I gotta rein myself in somewhere. And I think I'd I think I'd be pretty happy with just sticking with with those things. So. Seems like a good plan, Chad. Don't 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 go into rehab. <laughs> yeah, you may need to, but let's hope let's hope you can re- uh, prevent that intervention stage from occurring. I think. See now. See now that I think about it, what am I supposed to do with this this glow in the dark Mysterio I've been going after for so long? Because technically, I he, it's the movie version, but there is no Mysterio pop. So unless they come out with a comic accurate Mysterio, if I want a Mysterio pop, I should hold on to this. And that, so let's face it, that's a really damn good pop in terms yeah, of just you, design. You busted your butt to get it. I wouldn't get rid of it. I mean, yeah. maybe now maybe you would have been. Be- I mean, I, maybe it would have been better off if you if you would have known you were 
potentially going to get rid of it. That instead of yeah. getting instead of going out of your way to try to get the uh, exclusive, you could have just I mean the glow in the dark. You could have got the regular one. <laughs> Well, maybe, maybe, but the glow in the dark, I mean, the, just the glow, the, because because it wasn't just the glow, it was the, I guess it was, but like the glow, <laughs> the, the, the glow looked so cool in the clouds within the bubble head. I mean, it was just, it, it was just, it's such a different glow that I was just like, man, you know what? I, that's just, because I really don't care about glow in the dark otherwise. But uh, that was just too cool to pass up. So, but I've been talking too long. We should jump into the Green Lantern, shouldn't we? And those glow in the dark ones are really hard to actually get to see them glow in the dark. I mean, yeah. I mean, that- there are some. So, so have you seen? Have you seen the way some people display these when they're out of box? The glow in the dark ones. Yeah. No. So uh, I don't know if I've ever mentioned this before. The best way, unless it's an oversized pop. The best way to display these pops out of box in some sort of a case or on a shelf, go get a baseball oh, bat. Oh yeah, that. Case. I thought I thought you were going to be talking about some a light lighting or somehow just to try to. Well, no, they but they they'll put they'll put a battery operated or or plug in LED strip, but a black light LED strip. Oh okay. With within the baseball bat case, and display their glow in the darks in the baseball bat case with the black light LED strip. And I gotta admit, man, it looks really cool, especially especially if they do it with a bunch of with a bunch of uh, glow pops that have like a lot of glow. Like I've seen people do it where they they'll put the oh it's the it's the Captain Marvel uh, one where she's just she's holding the uh, the tesseract in the lunchbox, and on that particular pop, the only thing that glows is the tesseract. Like for something like that where there's like minimal glow in the dark stuff, it's kind of worthless to do that and it looks weird in the case but if you get a bunch of glow-in-the-dark pops that have a lot of glow feature to them and put them in those blacklight baseball bat uh cases it looks real cool i did look at that case after you mentioned that it's 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 a little heavy those cases are a little heavy they got a little weight to them so based on yeah you definitely have to get some anchors some screw anchors eh, you still probably could do 3m strips you just depends how many you need but but i either way i would the fact that it was, the fact that it was so heavy, based on and also how far it stuck out, uh, it would be what width, width-wise, that it was based on where I was thinking about putting it. That kind of that kind of swayed me to not get it, but it, but I could definitely could see why why it would work. Uh, just generally right. speaking, even even if you didn't with lighting or without lighting, you could definitely see why it would it would be. Uh, Worthwhile as a, a clever idea as a, as a display option, right? Well, I just thought I'd talk about it because I spent a spent a lot of time this morning <laughs> tracking these things down, and I was really excited to get lucky with that that uh, Funko Shop exclusive because I actually have some a, a friend of mine who's a who I met through the uh, the the Austin Funko Facebook group who was at San Diego. And I was hoping she'd be able to get me the that uh, that SDCC bag Batman. And now I don't have to have someone go out of their way for me <laughs> at San Diego, and they can just have fun on their own. <laughs> the moral of the story is Chad's happy when he gets lucky, <laughs> <laughs> which is under redundant, see redundant. <laughs> Man. Uh. <laughs> Another quest for the Grail that's successful. 
Which actually, Speaking of quests. Oh, which actually kind of leads in. See, that was pretty, that was cute how I did that, right? All right. Yeah. All right, let's get into this this issue. Uh, I'm going to try to go through, we're going to approach this summary a little differently because we're, I'm going to, unfortunately, by luck of the draw, because I kicked the can down the road, I got stuck with this marvelous issue to recap. Never again. Uh, so I, I'm going to try to give a just general more brief than I would probably normally do over the, just get, getting the beats of what's going on in this. And then Chad and I are both going to break down a little more specifics because Lord knows this issue is th- this, this issue while it is possible, I guess it, it really comes down to how people view stories. That's why it's kind of interesting that for people who just can take, can get dropped into something and really have no idea what's going on, but they can and kind of anticipate being brought up to speed later on. They can just go along with the ride and enjoy it. If you're one of those people, then this issue you'll probably like. If, if one Which of the, we'll get into in more in-depth at the uh, yes, last and, part of the episode. Yeah, but if you're one of those people that kind of likes to know at least a little about what the hell is going on and who's who's going – who you're watching and dealing with, then then, then it's uh, – then this this story – it reminds me of the – it reminded me of when the, the original movie Dune – I say that now since they're doing the, you know, the remake – that when Dune came out, they they handed people like this 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 sheet of information on the front and back. I think of all the different characters and the houses and everything else, just because if you didn't have that, the uh, and you didn't when you weren't a huge fan of the books, you were going to be friggin' lost. <laughs> and this story almost needs to come with that. <laughs> but okay, so that's 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 my that's my little disclaimer. So yes, this is the Green Lantern Nine, the actual. Story title is the day the stars fell down, which is a cool title. Usual usual suspects: Grant Morrison and Liam Sharp are the artists. Steve Olaf is the colorist. Uh, so we begin in a very now. Let's point out for the overwhelming positive to this issue. I like the art. Mm-hmm. He, he, he's Liam Sharp is really is really growing on me. That his his style is really growing on me, and I, this is a kind of story that fit that kind of fits his. His uh, tendencies and his preferences and what he does well, because there's a lot of there's not just a lot of room for detail, which there is, but it's just it's there's a lot there's room for color. There's just very interesting, very fantasy driven. So there's a lot of creativity, room for creativity here. <clears throat> so we be, begin in this ba- in this in this battle, which is not going well in on this planet, which at the time you know, we we really don't know much of. We don't know much about anything. Let's put it this way. We have a lot of names dropped: Marvel Maid, Marta, but uh, Logai and Quisto, Rigor. Uh, but basically, all these, all the, we figure out pretty quickly that there's basically it's, it's, these are all superheroes that are trying to stop something really, really bad, uh, something that has warping powers, that has gamma ray output, and the heroes are not doing particularly well. And in fact, some all these heroes are being laid to waste. And you kind of see this awesome kind of kind of reminds me a little bit of Starro. That's that and a big splash page. The day the stars fell down, along with uh, the thing from uh, oh god, now I forget this. I'm trying to remember the story now. The one with Hal, Alan, Scott, and Kyle. The hardcover that we did. Fear itself. Fear itself. It kind of kind of reminds me of a cosmic Omac. Yeah, there's a little bit of that too. It's kind of it's kind of. And maybe in a maybe in a way it's supposed to take on it maybe it's supposed to be you know, appears to be all things to all people not at least at this stage because it obviously looks differently later on when we get some more details about about this so 
It's like we're done for. Save yourselves. Which one of the few characters I actually rem- I actually knew going into the story, Vortox. <laughs> <laughs> Vortox, I knew. Or as Cap- Vortox and Vortox and Maxima, essentially that's, the only one. That is true. Vortox, because I actually do have. I think it might have been the first issue that Vartox appeared of Superman. But as Cap would say, I got that reference. <laughs> All right. So now, after, you know, as this as this planet is getting, you know. This battle is going really into the crapper. It's like, uh, go, Marta, warn the United Planets, alert the Green Lantern Corps. Uh, and now we, we cut to the planet uh, Cranelatine, or Cranelatine, excuse me, Throne World, Sector 2814, headquarters of the United Planets Superwatch, which essentially is this team. And <clears throat> and now, so basically, they're being brought to up to snuff about everything that's going on. It's like, we, you know, we lost a whole planet, uh, an anti mining kind an anti-matter mining colony. It's like, what the hell could be admitting that amount of gamma radiation? Now we segue to the planet Athmora, still in Sector 2814, with a lot more names and references thrown out that we're not going to break down entirely, other than we hear, we hear Abba Nazur, spirit, you know, spirit armies have found us. Uh, this name, at least, will come. At least we will get an explanation for this name. Mind you, this is our first... The first page that Hal actually shows up in this issue. We don't know why he's here, other than a continuous joke like that he's supposed to be on vacation. <laughs> other than that, we don't know what we don't really know why Hal is here and why he's dealing with. You know, this is really a sword and sorcery like planet uh, or scene. There's a almost kind of like de- demon dragon like monsters flying at them. There's cavalry, you know, trying to trying to fight these monsters. Yeah, Hal. Hal's, you know, we find out pretty quickly on this planet that Hal's ring, for what it is, unreliable. Is that the term that he keeps reusing? That it's, right? Uh, Yeah, essentially. That it's unreliable. And he said, uh, use a magic ring, Sir Hal. It's like, you know my ring's unreliable here on Othmora. Uh, Why, we don't entirely know, even though it is interesting that the ring seems a little more un... The ring in this issue is communicating as if it was a person more, saying, like, like this planet hates me. <laughs> it's like, okay. So they're dealing with the uh, Asba Nazura and, and, his, and, his, and his dragons and everything else. And we come to, we come to and this Asba Nazura kind of looks like, he kind of looks like a, gr- like a green version of Etrigan in a, weir, in a way, with the horns sticking out of his head, uh, among, uh, among other characters. But he... He basically he starts create you know we find out these are kind of like ring constructs but but not quite the ring constructs that we're used to. Yeah, this is when Hal's talking to his ring. It's like I know this planet hates you, but his and his ring repeats, it hates me. It's like I don't know why we come here, and this is when another another maybe the first time in the issue, but it's not the only time when Hal goes. I know I came for a vacation. Uh, we based very quickly, uh, how, you know, how we, the rings also drains at an incredibly fast rate because of this planet. So the ring is warning Hal that, hey, you better fight back because we're going to be drained real quickly. But Hal, you know, Hal basically realizes quickly that he is you know, physically inferior to his opponent here. Also, uh, oh, Hal's allies are fighting. All the all all the stuff is going. All the stuff is going on. And you know, he contacts his ring one last time. It's like, a, try this. He speaks clerical Hungarian, Hungarian, excuse me. Unless he's Hungarian too, but Hungarian. <laughs> and this is where we get to, like the 
you know, we kind of get the we kind of get the revelation that this that uh, Abanazur really means Abin Sir. This is an Abin Sir, pretty much from a, from another another multiverse, not our Abin Sir. Uh, Hal Hal tries to reach him. He call you know calls him by his name. He mentions Angara when he says Angara. That you know that that kind of breaks him a little out of his trance. And there's a necklace hanging around Abin Sir's neck that also is contributing to him being brainwashed. But how? Which looks like. Uh, wait. I'm looking at the first page. What the? No, when someone has holding the necklace. Starheart? No, it it looks like the the dark star slash black star symbol. Oh, you're right. I'm just looking. Yeah, I guess it does. Yeah. Yeah, I guess it does. Um, how how clocks him? Luckily, that pretty much uh, that stuns him, and and then they're able to subdue him, tie him up, and this is. And how you know how you know how you know, holds up that necklace to him? It's like you recognize this. You'd have kicked my ass to hell and back if I hadn't gotten this off of you. Please don't make me hit you again. And he's like, I have no further desire to fight. I was not myself. But wait, you're Green Lantern of Earth Zero. They sent me to find you. What happened to me? And this is when Hal, you know, you're not the Abensur that I remember. He died a long time ago, giving me this ring. And this Abensur says, you, you know, of course, you and I have never met. I'm not you. Um, but I'm truly Abensur. And it goes, uh, a space segment, 2814, and universe designate 20. And, the talk, you know, they, they continue, he, he continues to explain, I come from a nearby parallel universe. Hal Jordan, there are many more of us. Green Lanterns of a dozen, dozen Earths brought together by threats to the vast multiverse itself. And he keeps going, he is risen, the Mad Lantern is here, the dread emissary, emissary of the Reverso-verse, the Quaman! Uh, now, uh... Yeah, pretty much. Uh, Abin's going on like I, I gave him the, do- the the key to the door. I've damn I've damned the multiverse, and we kind of have a version of the Qua Man, which we'll talk. We can talk about in a few minutes what he what he kind of looks like or what he may not look like. Hal and Abin are kind of like are kind of like encased in this crystal like, uh, not really a tomb, but more like a prison, and they're trying to get out. And Hal's allies, you know, are trying to get him out there, and you know. Hal again repeats my rings, you know, undependable and Athmora Abin, your ring is the only one we have right now unless and all of a sudden we see her here quickly. Hal's like, huh? And we see three other Green Lanterns, obviously from different points of the multiverse, going, We don't have much time, we're here to get you out. Far, far out, man. <laughs> Next issue, quest for the cosmic grail. Quickly, there's no time. That's right. <laughs> it's Liam Neeson, Hal Jordan. Uh <laughs> I am green, uh, and I will find you. <laughs> uh, do we want to talk about the story itself yes, before we get into it? Yeah, okay, let's talk about let's talk about the story itself. Um, so, um, Mark was talking earlier about how it was almost inaccessible, or, or, or you know, forgive me for if I'm paraphrasing that wrong, um, but um, you know, I and I was saying, you know, it, yes. I get it. It's it's dense. It's crazy. But I think I was you know as I was, I was telling uh, Mark in a Facebook message, if you go into it knowing that this multiverse story that uh, Morrison of all people is about to tell, that this particular issue is just set up for that, and then that most of what this sword and sorcery stuff happening in this book is just. Morrison having fun and that you're pretty sure none of this is going to be of any consequence, then you can just kind of forgive it for being 
zany off the wall because it's like somebody just let Morrison off off his chain for a few pages. And so I don't have necessarily a problem. Like, don't get me wrong. I, I When I bought it at the comic book store, as long, along with several other issues and stuff I needed to pick up, I, you know, it was about midday. You know, I went over to Chipotle down the road a little bit, sat down, read this. And I was a little, I, I too felt a little bit lost, but by the time I got to the end of it, I just sort of acknowledged that, okay, this is clearly a setup issue. This sword and sorcery stuff is probably not going to have any consequence uh, to the, to the multiverse story that Morrison's about to tell. Somebody just let Morrison off his chain for a few pages. So by the time I got to the end of it, I was like, oh, okay, all right, whatever. <laughs> well, which is funny because when we talk about, when we talk about something else in this episode, which kind of in a way relates to this, uh, this when you, when I reread the story and I, after I got past my initial skimming through it, when I was like I just wanted to bang my head against the wall, uh, I think for me from a structural perspective, if Hal had been dropped into the middle of this, we saw Hal get dropped in. And he was kind of like as completely lost as we were in figuring out what the hell was going on, having that POV uh, perspective, that character. I think I, this would have been a little e- easier for me to accept. But when I first read this, you know, when I banged, my, I was banging my head against the wall, and I was like, "Wow!" On that level, it's everything you, everything that one would fear Grant, about a, the Grant Morrison Green Lantern work. This would kind of it stuff related to multiversity, stuff related to stuff that characters. Yeah, there, there's a, there's a fine line between like we've talked we've talked about this in this book before when we have oh when all those villains are all these vi- villains are put together and you have the Bowards back and things like all the all these little, cute little references that go back to Green Lantern lore and that's like Easter egg kind of stuff that stuff's cool uh, or even uh, Mere Widden and things like that that stuff that stuff I don't mind. This issue from the from the beginning is so blatant. I mean, you have so many friggin' name drops in the first two pages of this thing that a huge percentage of people are not going to have any idea who these characters are. And it doesn't get much better. I mean, there's tons. I mean, na- even once we get Hal into the book, all these names being dropped, Prince Vespero, whatever, and all. It's like, oh my god. It's like, but so once I you reread it a second time and you try to push that crap out, then. It's a little better, but I think from an ex, and this is what we'll talk about you know, later on, the accessibility factor. This is a total, but you know, this is forget about it. This is a left field, and this is exactly. I mean, to me, this is from a, now. Maybe we'll get some of this is going to make more sense in the second issue, in the next issue with this. Maybe it's not. We don't know. But I would say from this is my least favorite issue. Not about art. And anything like that. Just as far as me feeling comfortable and understanding what the hell's going on and the way it's being presented, I think this is my least favorite issue of this book so far. So all, and I've given Morrison a lot of praise considering that I was, I'm not a Morrison guy, and but I think what he's done with the book, while I feel completely dispassionate about this book, it's been well written and it's been enjoyable, and we've even commented a lot about how. Some of the stories have been so straightforward. The last few issues have been like one, one-off one stories. And then you get this issue, which is like, oh my god. So I think there's a mixed bag here. I think a lot of people are going to look at this and go, what the hell? I don't, Because I don't really think that we should ha- 
anybody, and I did, and obviously other people did too, have to go through and Google this and Google that and do research to try to find out all with all these names and what these planets, what this planet means, where it appear, who these characters are, who they're supposed to represent, where they first appear. I mean, it's, it's you shouldn't have to do that much reason. Again, you can make the case again for people if you're one of those people that don't, you didn't care about that that you didn't that. Not, not knowing any, not knowing any of this, really doesn't didn't ruin your enjoyment, and that's the way you you usually go through reading these things. Then that's fine. But I think a lot, not I'm not going to say the majority, but I would say a sizable percentage of people like to know what the hell's going on to, to in order to be uh, in the story. You know, to really give themselves to to the story, and they need to know a little bit about what's going on or feel like they understand what's going on and who's who and why it's going on. And I think for that, this this book, this issue in particular, is really, really hard. Uh, so, yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I could agree with you on that. I, 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 granted, this, this uh, notion comes after the research – um, so I don't know if it can be really considered a, a valid counterpoint to what you just said because you have to do research first and really to to, to kind of gain this perspective on it. Um, I do like the DC cosmic that is built up here. This whole team of heroes that we didn't really know existed as a team before. Um, you know this this planet and and I mean before we're even thrown into the multiverse stuff. Morrison gives us a huge chunk of uh, uh, of additional DC cosmic because between you know you you do have Legion in the future but there's also just Legion now there's the Rebels um, uh, there's the Green Lantern Corps um, there's your other various kind of DC cosmic things happening here and there but they're all sort of I don't know maybe isolated. Uh, in their own sort of various corners, um, you know. If you, because I, I, I read several different articles, so uh, forgive me if 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 some of you read the similar similar articles, and maybe this this idea is being pulled from one of those articles. But uh, I, I think I, I think one of those articles mentioned uh, Justice League Odyssey uh, and how ju- you know there is a kind of space Justice League, but even they are kind of confined to the Ghost Sector. So, you know, all these various DC cosmic things that are out there are, are, are confined to their own little boxes. This is a massive team of heroes that are just out there that we just suddenly get dropped in our lap. Now, granted, some of them die, and you do have to do some research to figure out who they are, and you know, and, and then just figure out that they're, they're just they're this just this conglomeration of all these various, uh, you know largely Silver Age uh, storied heroes and stuff like that um, from sort of one-off stories uh, to, to understand that. But, you know, even even considering that, it's just kind of cool to know that there's a massive group of heroes out there that we just... And, and this is this is non-multiverse related. That's just in out in the DC universe that's another part of DC Cosmic. So, you know, it kind of makes me want to learn more about them, not necessarily from their original appearances in the Silver Age, but I kind of want to see adventures with these, these the, this this group. And do they just sort of operate within two eight one four? 
how is Hal not more aware of or in, interacting with them? Um, and if he's not, then that, that that would have to mean that they're more cosmic than just 2814. And if so, how and how do they operate? Like, the, you know, you kind of want to just learn more of it. Um, so I do I do like the fact that it's uh, I keep repeating myself and coming back to the same point. The, the, the point being that there is a massive load drop in the middle of DC cosmic for for us to consider. Hashtag Morrison blows his load. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry. That's all right. So, so I like that, but, uh, you, you should, should we take that to, to, to get into who, who these people are? Yeah. So I'm now I I did. I saw the title of this article that Chad showed me, but I did not, this was not my, not my article that I actually, I actually did. And obviously, the person who wrote this article, uh, this their website did did their own legwork. I did my legwork on some of these characters too. I just and and things I Google them. So, but a lot of I only have some of them. There's more and more listed from on, on this adventuresinportaste.com site. They have an article on the uh, DC Cosmic Team. A new guys, a new DC Cosmic Team arrives in the Green Lantern. Number nine, uh, but who are they? So maybe maybe we'll post a link to that too. Might as well. But yeah, I'm not sure if Blogavoa. I know Blogavoa has put out their blog and slash podcast has put out their episode on this. I'm not sure if they came across the same art. I haven't listened to their episode yet, so I don't know if they came across the same article or what. But uh, I, I I would they put some research in, into their episodes too. So I I didn't see a whole ton of kind of like. Um, not green because there's plenty of reviews of the Green Lantern number nine, but is there are there not that many reviews plus breakdowns of the Green Lantern number nine? So I'm assuming we could theoretically all be pulling from the same source. So for all I know, they mentioned the same article as well in their episode, but we'll see. I mean, I mean, I googled everything I have. I just, I just, you know, I just googled it and and checked and clicked on a few links and things like. Like that, uh, wouldn't hurt for us to put it up. So you basically, it's almost like a primer for some of these characters. But again, some right. some of them I didn't, I don't have written down. I ha- I I some of these I also just have written down who basically who their equivalents are supposed to be, because uh, they all. I mean, it's a common thread here. You don't really have to go out. You go go out. Pretty, it's pretty much. <laughs> Pretty much, they're all variations of of the Superman family, if you will, in one way, yeah. shape, or form. That's a common thread with all of these. Marvel Maid is supposed to be Supergirl. Uh, Logi or Logi and Quisto are actually, I think, are supposed to be like a Superboy and Crypto analogy or version. That they appeared in World's World's Finest Volume One, Number One Twenty Four. Uh, Rigor is supposed to be a Superman variant. Uh, he appeared in Superman Volume One, Number Fifty Eight. Luma is Superwoman, a super, uh, basically, and she's from Action Comics 289. Vartox, one of the few, like I said, I actually remembered, who is also mostly, besides, he is a, why well, he is another version of Superman, he's also mostly known for looking like Sean Connery as he did in the movie Zardoz. <laughs> and he's also a huge womanizer. Yeah, that is true, too. Uh, but, but by looks, he looks like Sean Connery when he was wearing that diaper in that horrible sci-fi movie Zardoz. That's kind of what his claim to fame is, and his first appearance was Superman Volume 1, number 281. Uh, Hyperman is interesting, because obviously they have Hyperman with a dash, which... Looks like it appears. It's supposed to be the super the uh, Hyperman from Action Comics 265, 
But I also like the fact that there've been a, a hyperman by is like a relatively common name uh, used throughout DC, and, and actually I think the latest, the newest version to ever to use that name was the one from uh, and the Kingdom Come universe, the uh, son of Wonder Woman and Superman, uh, who was the guardian of hypertime. That was introduced in Kingdom Number One. He also was Hyperman, but I think he was Hyperman without, without a hyphen in there. Uh, I also have the, you know, the Cosmic Grail. Obviously, that's supposed that's supposed to be missing somewhere in the multiverse, and it, it, it's a, that's actually what this this arc will be about. Yeah, it's so. about Earth fifteen fragment, and it's supposed to be based on the concept is based on the central power battery. Oh, we mm-hmm. didn't talk about the Quaman at all. He's a do we have any? You have, did he string a bell to you who he might be? I mean, you, you can go for it. No, I'm just asking you. No. Oh no, I, 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 no, no bells rung there. Yeah, but based on name, I mean, obviously, if you're saying Qua Man, you would think it has to, you would logically think it must be related to Cord. Uh, based on that, based on looks, however, uh, for what it's worth, when I when they when they show him on that splash page, for some reason he he almost reminded me of Cyborg Superman the way he was split. Uh, a little bit, almost a little bit of Necron thrown in. But you probably suspect he must be if it's, especially since everything's reversed, including you know hate, death, but pain, kill, all that stuff mm-hmm. is reversed the way it's. But it's interesting that he's that again. Do you think it has to do with uh, logically based on the name? You would think it has to would have to do with you know, something related to Cord. But to me, for some reason, I saw him. I saw something like Cyborg Superman looking at him. Uh, so. Now, Chad has information on the planet Athmora. I do. Uh, the planet Athmora rings a bell because it appeared back in, guess what, the Silver Age of um, Green Lantern in number 16. Now, this is uh, this bears some, um, some talking about because one of the things uh, we bring up a lot is, uh, is the death of Abin Sur. And... Uh, I can't remember what episode it was, but at one point it became a conversation that it was cool that certain stories, not only when they retell the death of Avansur, they also try to explain why he's in a spaceship, if he is in a spaceship at that point. This is the first story ever explaining why Avansur was in a spaceship. Because... um, it opens up with Hal talking to Tom. He says, I used to wonder myself why that other Green Lantern flew in a spaceship rather than use the power of his ring. I had no idea how to find that out until after the adventure you call Prisoner of the Power Ring. That's Green Lantern number 10. He said, after I'd willed my power ring in that story to tell me about uh, Beverly Blanding, I realized it could also explain Avin Sir and his spaceship. Power ring, tell me why Avin Sir was in the spaceship when he came to Earth. And it says, this is the story of my power ring told. In a, uh, this is the story of my power ring told. In a remote area of his space sector, Avin Sir was conducting a routine investigation when he landed on the planet Athmora. He says, strange, this planet is still in the neo-medieval stage, but it ought to be well into the dawn of the atomic era, according to the records. What held its progress back? He used me, his power ring, to question the inhabitants. And they say, energy beings called Larifars came to our world and entered our bodies. They robbed us of that part of our intelligence they called the I-factor. 
And Abin's like, the I factor is present in all human being, uh, all human beings and enables them as they evolve to conceive of new ideas, gain new knowledge. Without the I factor, people would remain always at the same level of intelligence. And then the rest of his story is trying to track down these, uh, these beings that did this and their various space sectors. Abin catches them all except one. The story is of how this one finds his brethren trapped by Abin Sur. They tell him the story. He goes after Abin Sur, uh, waits until Abin Sur is asleep, enters his mind. Abin Sur tricks him by essentially telling him that, you know, my ring only has a limited charge. This particular being is aware of his ring, but not of his power battery. So while this, while, uh, he says, I can, I can only get you to your brethren. Uh, I can only free your brethren or get you to them. I can't do both with the power that I have in my ring. So he says, well, then just grab one of the spaceships that your people have, and and then you can use the power in your ring to free my brethren. Well, he can't tip off that he's got his power battery with him, which is, you know, secluded or hidden in another dimension. How it, it, It's drawn sketchy, so it looks like it's out of phase with our reality, whether that means it's in another dimension or just invisible or what, who knows. Um, but he's like, well, I can't, I can't charge it up while, while this, uh, this being is watching me. He'll see the flash of green and he'll know what's going on. So he waits until they get, uh, they're, they're passing by this planet that has its own radiation field, which glows green. And while they're passing through it, he uses, the green glow of that radiation to cover up the fact that he's charging his ring. And then he stands up to confront this being. He ends up trapping it and sending it out. But right after he does, that's when he passes uh, by earth in our yellow radiation field, thus blinding him crashing onto earth. So, Oh, Abby. (laughs) <laughs> Athmora, as you know, as sort of tangential as it is, is actually related uh, in part to the first explanation as to why Abin was in a spaceship when he crashed to Earth. Interesting. Good research, Chad. Which is interesting because this this story involves Abin Sur. Now, obviously, not our Abin Sur, but an Abin Sur. Yes, it does. So it's always something. It's always Abin. It's always Abin. Which I mean, again, as quote unquote inaccessible as we can say this story is, after all the research, and regardless of whether you should have to or whatever, that we've we've can debate that to death. After all the research, does it not make you appreciate all this more? Oh, sure. Yeah, see, I mean, it, there's a lot of stuff here that's just like, wow, oh, that's cool. You know, once you once you learn about it, now should you have to? That's another story. But after you learn about it, you're like, oh, you know what? That oh, that's cool. I want to, you know, that cool tie in there. Oh, that's where that's from. Like that's that's kind of cool, but mm, makes you want to like, is this a, <laughs> this needs to be like almost like a highlights magazine that you got at the dentist's office, like. <laughs> You know the, the 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 answers and the references should be printed upside down in a little <laughs> little box in the the very bottom corner of the the last page of the book. <laughs> yeah. <I can't. laughs> 
Or yeah, <laughs> or just like or just like a word find book when you got to go back and like way in the back of the book where all the answers for all the three hundred puzzles are, and you got to find your find your matching puzzles. Like, oh yeah, look. Oh god. <laughs> so like a lot of these, like a lot of these. Upon upon further review, the story stands. It's it's it's. As a story, it is enjoyable. I think it's just those first two pages are just – they throw so much shit at you. So much shit at you. And, and, it is very jarring. And that, I think that that's what threw me I, – when I first skimmed through this, it's like, oh my god, what the hell is going on? Who are these people? I mean at least when they – at least you know when uh, they said Vartox, at least I knew who that was. But it's like, oh my god. It's like and then you go through all this and it's like – I just, I just don't know. <laughs> I mean, it got better. The Hal part made it better, of course, not just because it's Hal, but at least. We, but again, even that was a little confusing, like I said, because it's not like, it's not like we have any explanation for why Hal's in the middle of what he's doing. Yeah. Well, he says he was I on vacation. On vacation, but I mean, it still doesn't explain. Okay, hey, it's like, hey, I was, you know, I was going to Club Med. Now I'm fighting dragons. It's like, okay. Well, um. In in that plethora of various articles and breakdowns I was reading, somebody somewhere mentioned um, that in a past uh, interview with the creative team, I can't remember if it was Liam or Grant, I'm pretty sure it might have been Grant who mentioned this, is because of how, how he interprets how, that how is sort of jaded um, or... Um, lackluster or not as impressed or not as um, he's not satisfied with Earth anymore because of everything he's seen his idea of relaxing or because not just because of everything he's seen but also because of who he is his idea of of a vacation his idea of relaxing his idea of switching things up a bit is very very different than your average human is going to be so whereas you or I would be like, you know, go do some retail therapy or, you know, go immerse yourself in some comic books or go on a vacation to go snowboarding or to the beach or whatever. Somebody who's seen the stars, interacted with billions of different types of aliens, who knows what's out there. I mean, if you could be like, man, I could just go plunk myself down in some good old fashioned medieval sword and sorcery shit right now. Uh, I mean, if if that's your if that's your whim, if that's the kind of you know daredevil test pilot sort of live for danger person you are, why wouldn't you choose that as your quote unquote relaxing? I can see that. I'm, I'm, again, that's not my idea. No, that's know, something I read I in one of those articles. I'm, so. I'm, I'm saying I could I could I could kind of see that, but it does seem. Obviously, it seems like he's got more than he bargained for. So the question is, what exactly changed? You know. So. Yeah. But we'll see. Oh, hopefully, we'll see. There's no guarantee we're going to get a whole lot of ex- explanation about some all of this. You like? We have to get one, some explanation, but not of everything. <clears throat> one interesting wrinkle uh, I, I wanted to m- m- mention before we moved on, uh, or run, rather that they that they, they, that they didn't include. I get it. You know the 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 Athmora reference, the fact that it's a, yet another Silver Age callback, and, and all of this stuff. That's that's cool. It makes all all kinds of sense. 
curious because it's Morrison why he wouldn't take up a potential another way to explore uh, the multiverse in some way by if he's going to tell a sword and sorcery type of tale, why not do Gem World or Scar Terrace or something like that? I mean, again, Athmora has a more right. tie to actual Green Lantern, probably, so that that, 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 yeah. that makes sense, but because it's Morrison, a chance to tangle with p- potentially Gem World or Scar Terrace, you know, I, I don't, maybe he thought of that and that could have been an option we could have seen. But I think you're right. I think it's probably because of that. Obviously, this planet was not picked in a vacuum, so that's so, yeah. so that's probably the answer is that it is it is it is Green Lantern related. So that's probably why he chose it. Sure. All right. On to the last one. Let's last go on thing. to the last one. All right. So today, after I went pop hunting, I uh, was on YouTube and I subscribed to several different channels. Uh, one of which is Comic Storian. Um, I do that because Comic Storian, for those of you who aren't aware, is a YouTube channel which primarily uh, is used to break down the stories, uh, the story arcs that are currently ongoing in comics into, I believe they refer to it as digestible bites. Um, you know, they sort of they sort of uh, break down the narration and the the they do a little bit of sort of. I don't want to say voice acting because it's not like it's – I mean they, they try and do some uh, – the, the guy tries to do some uh, accents here or there or put some inflection here and there or, or whatever. Um, it's not necessarily voice acting. It's more dramatic reading of certain things. And it will show you some of the panels from the books. So you can see some of the cool visuals and stuff. So if you're – several issues behind on a huge story arc and you know you're just not going to catch up you can be like you know what comic story and put it out let me just kind of catch up on the gist of what's been going on in this story uh you know maybe that'll inspire you to finally get off your ass and read the books that have been building up maybe you'll just be like okay cool i'm not really missing anything but i know what's happening and move on well they posted a video uh today or yesterday i don't remember when the action i'm pretty sure it was today uh and uh, that that video, I'm sorry, I'm pulling it up now. Uh, the title of which, let's see here. Ta-da, sorry. What happened to Green Lantern? You're breaking me, DC. There you go. Yeah. What happened to me? Yeah. Um, right now, it's got over thirty thousand views. About eleven minutes long. Uh, and he goes on a rant, you know, and he's being very vocal and stuff, and he's a big Green Lantern fan and stuff like that. But he makes his 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 central point while he's ranting and everything he says look this is not against grant morrison this is not against liam sharp he loves their work he loves all you know the stuff that he even likes the stories that are being told within the the current green lantern series but that being said forgetting the quality of the stories or the quality of the art it can be the best the, the best most amazing series that's ever been written but is it accessible to new readers is it accessible? If you were, if are, are you, or can you be easily dropped into it? If someone comes to you and says, "Hey, what should I be reading?" Would you point them to the new Green Lantern series? That's the that's the the gist of what he's saying. He's not saying, "Is it a good story?" He's saying, "Can new readers follow this?" And that's where his kind of point is. Um. 
I show this to Mark. Mark, what do you what do, what do you think? Well, I actually, to me, because it's me, that there's two ways to look at this. Uh, let's deal. Let's let's just for me. Let's just answer his basic question first, and then actually, I, I before we even I even get to that, the thing that I, the thing that I liked the most that he said because I said I I said out loud, yeah, that's that's absolutely correct, is when he said. That the only people really reading this, reading the Green Lantern, are either old school Green Lantern people fans who who just can't give it up, and Grant Morrison fans. But other than that, there's probably nobody else reading this book. And to me, that absolutely resonated because it's like, yeah, I'd be willing to bet you, uh, people like Chad and I, even if we didn't have quote unquote have to do this for the podcast, that people who have been reading Green Lantern for a long period of time. Who have an investment in the world and the characters, even though clearly this is taking it in a different direction that we've seen recently over the last, compared to the last 10 plus years. That other than those people, the only other people who came, probably are still reading this book or came along to this book when it started were diehard Grant Morrison fans who would read anything, you know, if he could, he would, he could write something on the back of a chewing gum wrapper and people would want to read it because they like him, his, his writing that much. That I res that resonated to me because I think that's absolutely true. Now his central point, whether this book is is super, you know, whether this is the an accessible book for for people who, and if you didn't know much about Green Lantern and the Green Lantern Corps and everything else, well, no, clearly this book is not accessible because this this issue is a quintessential example. We are reading this book, and this story just came the way it began had nothing to do with anything we've read in this book before. And you'd be completely friggin' lost. And that's, or could be, not necessarily would be, you could be completely friggin' lost for a large part of this story. And you had been reading the, the book every single issue up to this point, let alone people, oh, I'm going to pick up this issue. Who the hell are these guys? Uh, so that part, I mean, I think that's an easy, that's an easy question to answer. It's not easily accessible. Now, the question, the other parts, the other things that he raises, though, related to this, because he, because he goes on, he makes the point of saying some of his other points are that basically Hal Jordan's a problem to begin with because of his background and everything related to the character, and that it's just that basically Hal Jordan is not relatable and he's not accessible, and that, and anything with Hal Jordan is going to be tied into the past of the core and the background and blah 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 blah. So he kind of raises the point too that Hal Jordan, by nature, any book featuring Hal Jordan is not going to be really accessible, which I don't necessarily agree with. But he also points. He tried to say, well, back when Re Rebirth started, we had the the non-accessible book, which was Hal and the Core, and we had the accessible book with Jessica and Simon, which was for people who didn't know much about Green Lanterns, which is a fair point, but. It also was overall the inferior book <laughs> as far as – even from a storytelling perspective, it may not have been so blatantly bad. The, dis the distinction may not have been as bad during the Humphreys, right? Humphreys is who started that, right? Right. I believe so. Yeah, Sam Humphreys started it. It just – the only reason I'm, I'm, I was less than 100 percent confident was because we know that book changed to multiple writers in a short period of time after Humphreys mm -hmm. left. Uh when Humphreys was there, I overall – I thought the stories were, were interesting, and it's after he left that I thought the book kind of went downhill. It may have been more accessible, but it also was featuring two characters that coming in, nobody really knew about or cared about. 
And while that is a jumping on point, and we and we've we came to care about Jessica, it still didn't make it a great book. And it's not like the sales stayed up, so it's not like it was either bringing on consistently bringing in new readers or maintain the readers that just jumped aboard early going. So I don't. So while my answer to the question is, is this an accessible, easily accessible? Hell no. And you, and and just the mere fact Grant Morrison was going to be writing it was going to tell you that it was not going to be. I mean, I don't think Grant Morrison screams accessible when it comes to a title. Uh, unless he's, you know, unless it's a new book of a t- of a character he'd been writing previously for a long period of time, and a lot of people know his mythology related to that character. But the other quite part, of, to me, the other part of the question is: Does a book, does a book, need, quote unquote, need to be easily accessible? Because you can make the strong case that the majority of books at any given time are not easily accessible. They're not. They're not every single issue is not an easy jumping on point, which is part of the reason why if you read like previews and other things, they kind of always hype when a story is accessible or it's a great jumping on point for new readers. They kind of always play that up in, in the solicits for these stories on purpose because either they're changing the, dire- the direction or maybe they're trying to reach out to bring people in. So I don't think the book's accessible, but I don't think necessarily you need to have a ground level book to be to, co- to coincide, like if we had two, if we were lucky enough to have two Grant, Green Lantern books right now, I don't think we need a, a super baseline, easy access level Green Lantern book. I don't think that's what the majority of Green Lantern fans would want if there was going to be a second book. So, yeah, is it accessible? No, but I think you look at the majority of either Superman books and Batman books, and any any character that has multiple books. You probably really don't. If you're lucky, you might have one book that's a little easier to jump on. My God, I as as a case in point, and obviously King's Bat- Batman would be something hard to jump into. I picked up what uh, what now I just I just lost the storyline. Is it the year the the Bane one? The Bane one oh. started. No, I haven't I haven't caught up on my Tom King stuff yet. Yeah, I figure it, is it, but it whatever whatever it is. Uh, I'll, the most recent Batman stuff I read were the um, Detective Comics issues with the Spectre. I'll I'll find I'll find it, but that 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 issue that issue is <laughs> there's so much going on in that issue. City of, I think it's City of Bane. I think yeah, it is. It's City of Bane. First part, and I only got it of course because Bane. So I been I was interested. But there's so much crap that was going as a case in point. Here's a storyline which might appeal to a lot of other people just because of the character. But you come into it, and it's like, oh my god, there's so much crap going on. With, I, have, I have no idea what's going on with these characters in Gotham and what's going on with Alfred, and, and it looks like it's Thomas Wayne. And it's like, I have no idea what's going on in this book. And I only bought it because of the storyline, right? So if you talk – and yes, that – that that's a good example again of another writer because he's been on that book for so long that it wouldn't be easily accessible. But again, that's the it's kind of the you could complain about it on one level, but most books I think are going to be like that. If you jump in the middle, if you jump on in the middle of anybody who's writing who's writing a book's you know run, it's probably not going to be overly accessible. Uh, it may not be as convoluted as other books may be, but it's not going to be easily accessible. So. Well, actually, uh, I'm pretty sure if I remember. Let's see. The Green Lantern number nine. Let me open it up. The very last. Here we go. Um, 
Has Bane been plotting this from the start? This is a Batman DC Nation interview, uh, City of Bane uh, interview with writer Tom King. It is actually oh, yeah, in the is. back it of is. the it issue. Is. He says, uh, has Bane been plotting this from the start? From day one, the original plan was, quote, Bane is bad, Batman loves Catwoman, unquote. And this is what the whole series will be about, those two things. I've written a 12-issue limited series like Mr. Miracle with blah, blah, blah. It has been very well received. I look at Batman as a very long version of that 12-issue thing. It's one big story that's about whether Batman can put something above his vow. Can he put his love for Catwoman above the vow he made to his parents? That's the big question at the heart of the whole series, a.k.a. his entire run on Batman. Technically, also this story arc, but uh, his whole run on Batman. Yeah. So Tom, so so what you're saying is true, but and Tom King himself is acknowledging it's true, but it's also the entire point in what he's doing on oh, purpose. Oh yeah, but I, I, but a lot, yeah. but you could, but I'm sure many, many, many writers would say the same. I mean, they deep down would say the same thing. I mean, Jeff, Jeff Johns obviously had a relatively. I mean, he didn't have everything planned out as you know, 100. percent I don't think. But he had a general idea of where he wanted where he wanted to go, and in the sense that he kind of saw it like in three parts, like he said in a way. It's after, after the third part is when things went off the rails that he kind of saw it like he wrote Green Lantern Rebirth and Sinestro Corps War and Blackest Night. And then once he got past Blackest Night, then it was kind of then it was kind of like kind of like reaching, I think. Uh, and it wasn't as probably fleshed out as much as he wanted. But yeah, so it's. So it's 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 a quest. It is a question. I know even in that video we kind of access you know mentions mentions how of course you know you know the Tom King Batman title would not be you know what the book you'd want to you could jump in on or you'd want to jump in on. So, but again, I think I don't. I think his point is valid, but I just don't necessarily know if the solution to it is if there is an easy solution to it. I think many I think many of these books are usually the only really the only real way they become accessible again to new readers is if they either have a new title that starts or they just have a new writer come aboard and that's usually the and those are usually the most natural jumping on points to 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 go forward. I don't think you I don't think you I don't think you need it. I'm not, and I'm not saying that he he was talking about you know this basic level of, of jumping on. But I don't think we need like a Spidey Super Stories Electric Company version of a Spider-Man book just to be have to, you know the you know obviously I'm exaggerating, but to have that kind of you know, a basic easy easy to follow book that you don't need to know any background about just to be able to enjoy the stories. And the character. I mean, it wouldn't doesn't that wouldn't hurt to have stories like that, so you get invested in the character, and then maybe that makes you want to go read the other stuff. But the other point in this video was, if again, if he was going to recommend reading Green Lantern stuff, where would you like you kind of mentioned too that point of his? Would you recommend reading the current stuff, or would you recommend reading older stuff? And yeah, if you wanted to if you wanted to understand the character and and the mythology, yeah, I don't think absolutely. I don't think you would – how could you recommend reading this book as opposed to reading other things? Because this book, this book has been do, has done a good job of digging up buried relics of the Silver Age and of Green Lantern's past. But as far as delving that much into the Green Lantern mythos, it really hasn't done much with it, really. 
Mere Widden, that arc may have been the most of dealing with the mythology of Green... In a way, for a forgotten part of a Green, Lan- Green Lantern lore or mythology before. Then, but, you know, dealing with, you know, the, a controller and the Black Stars and the Dark Star, blah, 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 blah. I mean, that's not really... That's not changing. That's not reinventing the wheel on any level, let alone... So, yeah, I... It, it, it depends. I mean, I think it depends on what your interest in the character is, too. And obviously, Hal's relationship with, with his ring and the core, and not that you've seen him interact with the core all that much, obviously, in this book, yet that over the it's different. So it, it because it is different, it's not the flagship as far as if you're trying to – this is what this character has essentially been always about or the core of this character, no pun intended – or what the mythology of the Green Lantern Corps and the things you need to know about the Green Lantern Corps overall. This isn't. This is not a primer book for you because it's, he's gone off on a different tangent. So he's right, but it seems to be more of a case for a second Green Lantern book, but not necessarily a hitting the ground running. Let's bring Jessica Cruz back in, which I would be fine as long as they teamed her up with a better Green Lantern than Simon. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, um, I didn't say. I agree, you know, with most everything you said. I, I would throw in there uh, the only other people it would be accessible to are comic book fans who aren't aware of Grant Morrison but like Grant Morrison. And by that, I mean those people who have been largely uh, stuck not, – not stuck, but have chosen – that they're going to read non-superhero titles. They're going to read the more esoteric and cerebral sort of indie stuff that's out there. You know, if, if, if they were looking for an entry point into DC and maybe they were curious about something, people who are already into this sort of highbrow sort of stuff. Um, and I kind of hesitate to say highbrow, but, um, you know, just this really cerebral kind of crazy, uh, you know, just throw you into the deep end and just look at all the insanity happen sort of storytelling uh, that they're already used to and, and, and actively searching for within indie titles, then maybe those people also would be interested in this. So in that case, it could be accessible to new readers in terms of new readers who are already familiar with this similar sort of style, but new readers in terms of, I don't know really anything about the DCU or I don't really know anything about Green Lantern or I don't really know anything about comics. Would you give them this? No, I agree. Yeah, definitely not. (laughs) Which is, again, to be fair, that that isn't fair to Grant Morrison because giving Grant Morrison anything that he's going to work on probably, probably, I'm not saying he couldn't do it if he wanted to, but based on what the, the, the stuff that he usually does, he probably isn't – he would not be your go-to writer for entry-level material, <laughs> period. So I think it's not – that's not in his wheelhouse. So it's not, it's not necessarily fair to throw that albatross around his neck. But, it's, but it is absolutely true that if you're looking at where Green, Lan- where Green Lantern wa- – and, and – it is tough. It's, it's tough for it's tough for us. It's tough for a lot of people. Well, obviously, it's not tough for Jeff Johns haters who are just happy that who would take anything. You know, the, the real the real diehard Jeff Johns haters out there would be happy if you had like twenty two blank pages a month as opposed to getting Jeff Johns stuff. But if you're not a Jeff Johns hater and you at least appreciated and enjoyed you know that era of Green Lantern books and then even 
you know, the post John's era to, you know, at least it's part of it you enjoyed. And when you, we had the heyday of the four books and everything else, it is still kind of, it's still kind of sad that we're at the point where we are, where we have this one book. I haven't actually even looked at the sales for this book. I should, so we can discuss it to see how the sales are on this book. Now that we're like eight, nine, not eight, nine issues into this run, that, that this is the only the only book that we have, and in a way, it kind it feels like it is a a niche or a niche book. It's just it's just highly elevated because of well, one could make the case it might be highly ele- a little highly elevated because we have a big name writer attached to it, but it's also a big name writer that comes with pros and cons, which obviously everybody does. But I mean, Grant Morrison is you know he, he does kind of evoke strong feelings, I think. So it's it's kind of it's it's just continual continually sad to see where we are <laughs> for me with Green Lantern and yes as Chad you know we, we've mentioned and we we probably will be doing at least some of these arcs from Justice League and Justice League Odyssey going back to Justice League Odyssey and things like that it's just yeah actually you recently picked up the uh, trade paperback of the Titans issues uh, which by the way Titans. Uh, was canceled, so uh, you know the the very last trade of that Titan series is all the Kyle Rayner stuff. So I got all that in trade paperback, and I also recently got the first tra- uh, volume of the uh, Justice League Odyssey trade paperback. So I am set to do the the that content whenever you are. I don't have the Justice League stuff yet with John Stewart, but I do have those two Hard trades. Hard copy, you got the digital. Okay. Hard copy, the trades. Yeah, uh, and I also just because I I like it, I picked up the first trade of uh, Robert Venditti's Hawkman That's series. Right, you did say you like that, so yeah. So we will be doing some of the other other Lantern material. It's just for me, this is just a very dispassionate time, <laughs> and uh, it's not just I'm not just blaming it. This is really on this book because I've made I think I've made that term before that what was. Me- yeah, we're enjoying this more than oh, yeah, we're not, we are. This, this yeah, we are. Yeah, I mean, so. there's no doubt. If if somebody if somebody would have asked me before this book started, you know, through nine issues, would I that if, if somebody had told me, yeah, you're gonna, this is how you're gonna feel about this book after it comes out, I would, I would, I would say, nah, probably not. It's like, I, I do. I think this this book is much better than I thought it was gonna be, and it's certainly not anywhere near as frustrating for me as I. As I feared or anticipated. So the book, I am enjoying this book. I just don't feel passionate about this book. But what I started to say was, it's not unique to this book because we mentioned that in some of the uh, State of the Green Lantern Universe episodes. Is that the overall that what I think has been missing generally from from Lantern Dumb has been passion. And so I don't know what is go- what would really bring passion back on a large scale. I don't know what it would. What, what would actually do that, uh, which would be a topic for another, maybe in another state of the Green Lantern universe, maybe like a an opinion question that everybody can prepare, can try to come up with an answer for. But I think we're due for one of those this year, actually. The re- probably so. That the reality is, I don't know what the answer is. I just know that I this book I enjoy. Re- I do enjoy reading it. But I don't feel passionate about it. It's still not my Green Lantern book. It's not the book I really would like to be reading. Uh, so, but it's all we have, and I think that's part of the, the that's part of the the being bummed out about it. I think comes from that too. It's like this is pretty much the only show in town, 
And it's elevated because we actually have, again, we talked about this before, arguably the biggest name writer that was given a Green, Lan- given a Green Lantern book in a long, long time, including when Jeff Johns got Green Lantern because whether Jeff, Jeff Johns even then was probably – he was known, but he wasn't as – I don't think he had the aura around him that say that Grant Morrison has now that Jeff had it then when he first took over Green Lantern. Uh, he was known clearly, and he had his hands in a lot of things before then, including you know. But it doesn't matter. But the reality is yes. So I I I think that I I would like a different Green Lantern book, and we but then. It, but we also don't know how – again, it still remains to be seen how long Grant Morrison's staying on this book, which you'd like to th- – again, you'd like to know – you would like to think soon we're going to know whether he's actually leaving after a year. You think You think that's – you think it can at least tell us that soon since what are the solicits through 11? That Star Sapphire issue isn't at 11? That, mm, so I think so. You would think if he's, if, he's, if he's bailing after only a year that we're going to know – if we don't know already, we're going to be knowing soon. So maybe, maybe it's a good sign – that at least from a continuity perspective, that he's going to be hanging around for at least at least two years. But I st- I would like a little more lantern-like stuff that we. It doesn't have to be related to the emotional spectrum. Just something a little more lantern-like, especially if he's going to keep mining the Silver Age. At least give us some stories that feel a little more like more still more maybe more Silver Age and less Morrison-esque consistent. At least for like an issue or his version of what a regular Green Lantern story would be like in the Silver Age, something like that. Maybe that would help, but we'll we'll see. It just seems like there's a. It just I don't know. It's kind of, it. This book does really remind me of the of the Green of the Spectre, the Hal Jordan Spectre series, and very much reminds me of when that <clears throat> book started to go off the rails. Not saying it's not the saying that I've noticed this book has changed, but I'm saying the type of stories it's telling, the way it veers here and you know left and right, and, uh, like it doesn't necessarily always give you a consistent what it wants to be vibe. To me, I, I mean, and and the, and the way the style is, the art style in a way, and the, the but I don't know, I that I'm rambling enough, so we'll see what happens. But I I hope something happens that. Reignites my passion, at least for at least one Green Lantern book, if not more than one. All right, you want to tell people how they can find us? Lanterncast.com. The email is lanterncast at gmail.com. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter and like us on Facebook. Hashtag GLCast for those. Find us on either one using that hashtag. iTunes and Stitcher, whichever platform you listen to us on, please leave us a positive review. And last but not least, the voicemail is 708-Lantern. 708-Lantern, and let us know what you think. That's right. Definitely let us know what you think, because next episode is our San Diego Comic-Con 2019 wrap-up. We'll be talking about the stuff that interests us. Not everything, because that's a lot. So... Um, if there's something in particular that you thought was c- quite interesting or controversial or whatever, and you're worried we may not be covering it, you'd like to hear our thoughts on it, then definitely uh, let us know. Because, uh, like I said, we're gonna s- there's a ton of stuff that always comes out of San Diego every year, uh, whether it's media-related, comic-related, or whatever. And as always, we're going to cherry-pick the news that interests us. So uh, if you want us to cover something or get our thoughts on it, definitely let us know. And they're off to a pretty good start from the perspective of even today, as we're recording this on Thursday, there's already a bunch, especially movie-related, there's a bunch of stuff that came out 
that we, mm-hmm. we may or may not delve into deeper, but the you know, top Top Gun, uh, Terminator footage, uh, like you mentioned, cats. So there's a, there's already a bunch of stuff that's already come out of interest, and obviously we haven't really hit the high water mark of fr- Friday, especially Saturday. When it, those are the days we're going to probably get the majority of the of the news. Clearly, we're expecting based on the what the Hall H Marvel Studios panel. We're clearly expecting mm-hmm. to have. Certainly, at the very least, a lot more of a clear picture of what Phase Four is going to be, um, and probably mm-hmm. knowing them, they'll have some some probably some special announcements. Maybe we'll get some casting news for certain for certain projects and and confirmation on some rumors, maybe about casting and whatever. So it's been the one good thing since I've since I've kind of railed against how I don't like what they've been doing and being so secretive about Phase Four. That the one positive about that is that it does open the door for some nice surprises, potentially, at least when it comes to... I don't know if we're going to get a lot of surprises from the movies they're going to announce, cause, and that's why we won't speculate too much. But based on the number... and But Phase 4 it will greatly depend on how long Phase 4 is, whether it's three or four years, because we already know how many movies will be coming out in the next three years. That's eight, unless they have other dates they just haven't made. You know, They're looking at dates, but they haven't confirmed. They only have eight. Marvel movie dates scheduled between 2020 and 2022. So if it's only a three-year phase, then based on everything we've heard and they've rumored, it's not going to be much room for movie surprises. Probably if it's a four-year phase, that's something different. So I would, I would, I'm kind of suspecting more casting surprises and confirmations right off the top of my head. Unless, unless some of these movies that they supposedly they were looking into or researching, um, or maybe like red herrings to a certain extent, at least for what they're doing right now, maybe. <clears throat> but we'll we'll find out. And so that's the one I'm really, you know, I'm really looking forward to that. But I am actually looking forward to that episode. So I hopefully there'll be, hopefully tonight is a is a nice opening salvo to what we're going to get over the next couple of days. So we have a good amount of information because Lord knows <clears throat> there's, there's been a few comic cons and been, there's been kind of like not that much to talk about. We'll talk about it then. Talk to you guys later. Good night, everybody. Good night.